This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the Liverpool.com podcast for this week. Don't worry, we won't be going too much into detail on the weekend's disappointing results against West Ham United, but we will try and lift the mood a little bit as the international break starts to set in. I'm Matt Addison and I'm joined by Ben Botchak and new arrival and Liverpool.com debutant Patrick Smith. And we're going to be taking a look at Liverpool's squad depth in general and also having a chat about the left-back situation with Andy Robertson and Kostas Simikas, one of the biggest talking points to emerge from this weekend. Should Simikas be given a go ahead of Robertson, or has Robertson done enough over the last couple of seasons to justify retaining his place despite a a run of shaky form? Let us know your thoughts in the comments section if you're watching along on YouTube, and of course, we will discuss that in detail a little bit later on in the show. I want to start, though, Ben, with a a bit of a a general look at at Liverpool's squad depth. I think it probably makes sense to start with the midfield, given all of the injuries in that position so far this season. Obviously, we know James Milner and Abby Cater, Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones. It's it's a long list of of those that were missing for for this weekend and and a couple of the matches before. But how reasonable do you think it is to, to suggest that maybe Liverpool should have done more in the summer? Have maybe a few fans been proven right with the fact that they wanted a couple more signings? How do you think it's it's gone so far and, and how predictable do you think that was? It's difficult to say, really, because, you know, you you always have the benefit of hindsight. But I think going into the season, if I'm trying to remember, I wasn't too worried about Liverpool's midfield depth. Uh, especially with Harvey Elliott kind of proving himself earlier on in the Premier League. And, uh, I mean, it's a big comparison, but I would say right now the midfield injuries can be comparable to uh, the centre-back situation last season. It's it's kind of an unprecedented series of injuries and uh, it's uh, it's hard to predict that going into the season. Uh, it's, it's hard to prepare for that as well because... Uh, I mean, who'd you sign uh, to be fifth or sixth choice? Like, who's also competent enough to come in and uh, do maybe a better job than Oxlade Chamberlain? I don't think there's a lot of players in world football who would accept that role. Yeah, I mean, the, the obvious question that, that people will put forward, Patrick, is around Gini Wijnaldum. Obviously, we know the numbers, we know the availability. He was averaging, I think, 51 games a season during his time with Liverpool. So is that a fair criticism, do you think? Or or is it, as Ben says, maybe a little bit in hindsight, a convenient excuse or, or possibly just an explanation to kind of wrap into to all of the things that we now know to be true? You know, thinking back to August, I didn't really think we'd need to replace one Aldam as such. I think we had, you know, Harvey Elliott coming through, was playing so well in August, obviously got injured. We're just sort of in that unfortunate conveyor belt of rotating injuries. You know, we've always seemed to have two or three players fit, especially now. You know, it's never, let's choose three of the five or six midfielders. It's okay, we've got two fit and then one coming back from injury. And it is painful seeing one Aldam playing so well for PSG as well. You know, I think it was two goals in the midweek in the Champions League for PSG last week, you know. I do think we are slightly missing him, but, you know, part and parcel of the Premier League, I don't know if we need to replace them yet and sign someone else. But, you know, we are running thin already and it's only November. Yeah, I'll, I'll stay with you, Patrick, as well for, for the next one in terms of sort of obviously the, the Wijnaldum question and, and not signing someone. Ben mentioned before about how difficult it is to sign somebody. But I suppose that the counter-argument to that, to kind of play devil's advocate, would be to say, well, 
James Milner is is 36. Fabinho's had a, a history of being injured for sort of four or, or six weeks in the last couple of seasons. Jordan Henderson's not getting any younger. Thiago is 30. There is, as much as there is a long list of, of midfielders in there, there, there is, I think, a, a bit of an argument that you will still get minutes. And I suppose the early signs, and it is only 17 games in in all competitions, but you know that the early signs are, are kind of there that, that that might be true. I think we might be better off as well signing a replacement number six rather than someone for the you know genie one Alden role. I think there's no one that can actually hold anywhere near the level of Fabinho. I know he's one of the best midfielders in the world in that position, but no one else in our squad can really play that position that well. I don't think. I think they're all more suited to the box to box style that the other two positions sort of hold. Um, I don't know who we go for, but I think that would probably be a better area for rotation cover because Fabinho does seem to be injured quite a lot, and as you mentioned there. He does seem to have problems persisting his career. Yeah, I mean, Ben, you mentioned Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain before. That kind of ties in with the, obviously, can play number eight, can play a little bit further forward, but isn't going to play a little bit further back. I know you've written something on him for, for Liverpool.com that will be out uh, probably the, the day before uh, this podcast is released. But what have you made of, of him so far this season? Do you think... It was predictable that he maybe has struggled a little bit. And, and what do you think it might take for that to kind of turn around a little bit for Jurgen Klopp? Yeah, so it's a tough one with Chamberlain uh, because when, when you look back to his best period at, at Liverpool, it's it's been a long time since we've seen the best of him. And you can't really fault him because he had two very serious injuries and, and it's hard to fight back from that especially when you're not getting regular minutes as well. I think he needs uh, sort of a constant run of fixtures to get back into the rhythm and of the, the game and the Premier League in particular. Uh, but that's difficult at Liverpool when you're challenging for the title and uh, there's so much at stake in every game. Um, so, I don't know, I think that's something Liverpool might have to visit in January uh, and uh, see whether perhaps a loan spell or a, even a permanent transfer would be available for him. Uh, it, when you look at someone like Jesse Lingard and the impact he made at West Ham, uh, that could be a path to follow. And I I don't think Liverpool should write him off just yet, but um, I don't think he is someone who can be trusted to play regularly in, in the first team right now. Yeah, I think for me, Patrick, he kind of falls into that category of he, he just doesn't quite fit in. You don't quite see how he, he comes in and, and plays that Jurgen Klopp role. Obviously, a very different player to, to Genie Wijnaldum. But I suppose having spoken through all of these midfield options, the, the kind of running theme is that maybe it's it's just not quite the right balance in that midfield. I suppose, you know, you mentioned not having anybody to replace Fabinho, maybe not having the, the, the right balance in the number eights as well is... Is that something that it's it's a fair criticism to level, or or is that just because they're missing so many players? Maybe as soon as you know Cater or, or Curtis Jones or Harvey Elliott come back, maybe that is just solved, and, and that's just the position Liverpool have to to deal with from now on. I think that's the nail on the head. I think we've got a lot of players that sort of fit that role of they're not quite a number ten, they're not quite a number eight, they're sort of halfway between, or they're a converted winger into a centre midfielder like Chamberlain. I think Harvey Elliott, you could argue, would be a big winger, but. He dropped into that midfield role before he got injured. Curtis Jones as well is quite good at wide, but is he a centre mid? You know, I think the main problem is we always seem to have one player midfield coming back from injury into the side by nature of our midfield now. And that's where the problem lies. They're just not up to match speed and that's 
you know, you can always find, like, look at the Brighton game, prime example of that. It almost feels like you've got one midfielder doing two people's work, like Fabinho, whether it be Henderson. I think we got caught out with that yesterday, to be honest. I think Chamberlain was just a little bit off the pace. He had some good moments, showed a lot of promise, very good driving forward, but defensively, I just think he's just missing that spark. And a bit of bite as well. I want to see a bit of aggression in there. You know, we don't really seem to be putting in that many big challenges. And in a game against West Ham away, you need to impose yourself on it. I think that's where we could have been lacking. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that, that Thiago kind of fitted into that as well. He looked miles off the pace midweek, even further off the pace against West Ham as well at the weekend. So maybe it wasn't the easiest game for, for him to come back into. Uh, ben, just before we move on to, to the attack and, and have a similar sort of conversation around sort of the, the players that Liverpool have got further forward, I wanted to, to mention Takumi Minamino, who kind of fits both categories almost. We've seen him obviously off the bench a couple of times. He's played in midfield now for Liverpool. I wrote something a few days back to sort of suggest that it, it could be his best position. It could be a, a role that suits him. But I suppose, again, it, it's a physicality question, isn't it? I think it's got to be a very specific match scenario for that to work against 10 men, against Atletico Madrid. Maybe it works, but possibly against a, a high-intensity West Ham is, is maybe not the time to, to be doing that again similar to Oxlade-Chamberlain almost, it's maybe just not quite the right fit, do you think, for a Jurgen Klopp number eight? Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think uh, there was certainly, uh, your piece was centred around uh, Jesse Marsh's comments and uh, it was uh, it was interesting that he made that those remarks. But I think Minamino is, comes across as someone who's he's a sort of a luxury player. Um, he, he He's good when he's afforded time and space and he's very technically gifted, but I think physically he's still really not up to the task of, of becoming a midfielder in the Premier League. But then as well, paradoxically, you can't really see him playing out on the wing either because he doesn't have the pace of Mane or Salah. Um, so yeah, he's, he's another one who sort of poses more questions rather than answers at Liverpool. Yeah, I suppose, at least with Minamino, it was only a small fee that was brought in for only 7.25 million. And there's lots of other players that you kind of have a lot more concerns about. Thiago being one of them, maybe one or two others in there as well ahead of him. And of course, the other bonus, as you say, for, for him is that he can play in the forward line as well. So possibly could be a, a fair few opportunities for him. Let's move on to, to the attack now, Patrick. We know that obviously Roberto Firmino is injured, his second hamstring injury of the season already, which probably isn't a good sign for him. But without him, I mean, Liverpool have been there with only three first-choice attackers until Diogo Jota came, but it's kind of back to that position again. It, it does feel like they are a little bit light. Yeah, I've been having this conversation for the past three, four years, I think. You know, is it doing any time on an attacker? I think now is the time, to be honest. You just touched on Minamino there. I don't think he's up to speed. I can't see him cementing his place, you know, as a backup for the front three. I've been saying for a long time, with the quality of our fullbacks. I think a target man would be fantastic in our front three as a backup option, especially when we're in December, January with lots of games. You know, think about it. I think we've got Leeds on Boxing Day and then there's about five games in that period. It's ridiculous. With the amount of crosses and quality we have putting into the box, why not go for a target man as a different option? There are games where we struggle and set-piece-wise, you know, showed again yesterday. And we've been getting dominated on set-pieces recently. And I think it's something we should give a go. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
Yeah, certainly something worth thinking about. I know there was some reports, I think, from Spain that Liverpool were interested in Edinson Cavani over the summer. Now, I doubt very much that that was the case. Obviously, he signed an extension with Manchester United. But it is interesting, isn't it, Ben, to sort of think about a slightly different option, something that Liverpool don't have. Obviously, Diogo Jota is in a similar-ish mould to Firmino when he plays through the middle. But what do you think? Having another wildcard option through the middle, it probably wouldn't be the worst idea, would it? Yeah, I agree, especially with AFCON coming up and, uh, you know, Liverpool are going to be, we don't know how, for how many games yet, uh, but they are going to be without Salah and Mane and they w- will be needing to think of a different, perhaps a different system without those two players in attack. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned Cavani because uh, I'm writing a piece for .com at the moment on Darwin Nunes, who's uh, quite a tall player and... Uh, but he's, he's also someone who could be a target man, uh, but he's also good on the ball. He's got the pace and um, I'm looking at his data in terms of pressures made in the final third in uh, the Champions League this season. And, and, and it's looking good in comparison to the likes of Firmino and Jota. And yeah, I think he's, he's one who it has been likened to both Cavani and Suarez in Uruguay. And yeah, uh, one one to explore potentially is in, is in good form as well yeah absolutely again that piece will, will be out on the, the website by the time people are listening to this so do go and check that out from Ben and I'll stay with you as well Ben because you've been writing it a little bit about Divock Origi as well obviously with the, the goal that, that he scored he's scored a couple of nice finishes of late is it enough though do you think to, to make him a genuine option or is he just one of those that is always going to be we'll just throw him on if we need him to for the last few minutes of a game well, I think right now it's uh, Liverpool don't really have another option, so he has to be the wild card option. And uh, in all fairness to him, he's not he's not doing badly. I mean, granted, most of his goal contributions have come in the League Cup, but he that that goal uh, against West Ham and the quality of his finishes have been impressive, and uh, that's something we haven't seen of Origi in in the last year at least for sure. I mean. The, the goal against West Ham was his first in the Premier League since um, the summer of 2020. And um, yeah, he, he uh, up until he scored against Nor- Norwich in the League Cup, he hadn't scored um, for almost a year. Uh, yes, yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah, so, so for me, I don't, it's a hard one because I don't think he'll, he'll ever be a long-term option at Liverpool. Uh, but right now with Firmino's injury, I think it is something to explore to see. He 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 can be a target man potentially. He he is different the way he plays. He does like to play with the last line of defence, unlike Firmino and Shotter who drift back and progress the ball and contribute in the build-up play. So maybe it is something to sort of trial to see if a target man would work, and then potentially target a target a target man in January. I think it's really interesting as well, Patrick, because, you know, we, we kind of think of Jurgen Klopp's typical number nine being Roberto Firmino. But of course, at Borussia Dortmund, that wasn't the case earlier in his career. He had, you know, Robert Lewandowski, who can sort of do that sort of target man role. Obviously, he's a lot more than that these days as well. But it's not always been, you know, a, 
as kind of floating number nine, a false number nine. It, it has been that he's done that kind of thing as well. And even early on at Liverpool, he played a 4-2-3-1 with Divock Origi through the middle. So it's not something that we should rule out at, at the very least. I definitely wouldn't say no to return to that 4-2-3-1, I think, especially with the midfield problems. And not only the shortage of midfielders due to injury, I think, as I touched on, a lot of them are sort of that 8-10 position, neither here nor there, who could, you know, be bumped up into that number 10 role in that formation. And then with a target man, I think that would give them the freedom to, you know, someone like Oxlade Chamberlain might be better off in a midfield where he's ahead of two rather than part of a three. I think that could work. But yeah, I think Divock Origi, I'm not entirely convinced. He's been very good this season, but I don't think I want to be sticking with him through January, to be honest. I'd like to see someone else brought in. Just we have another option as well. You know, I love Origi. All Liverpool fans love Origi, but I personally would like to see someone brought in in January. I think now's the time. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think the only thing that I'm thinking about in terms of, of January is would Liverpool not have, have made that signing in the summer to bed them in rather than, than do it in January? I suppose possibly things might have changed, circumstances might have changed, but they don't tend to do business in January unless they have to, I suppose. Would that be your concern, Patrick, that maybe if they were going to do that, they would have already done it? Or how do you sort of see that playing out? Yeah, that is a concern. And then also the other concern is you pay a premium price in January because no one wants to sell. I'm not sure what the transfer market is like in terms of finding a target man. I think we'll be paying a lot over the odds. But that's not always a bad thing. You know, if you look back to January a couple of years ago, another Uruguayan striker we signed, I'm sure we're all aware of. Why not go for another one as Ben touched on there? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. What's the lose? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I think um, <laughs> we'll all be supporting the teams that are playing against Egypt and Senegal, though, <laughs> in the Afghan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we don't quite know exactly how many games it, it's going to be. It, it could be a maximum of eight, as I understand it, but I doubt very much that, you know, Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane would want to miss the, the game against Chelsea on the 2nd of January, of course. So it's, it's going to be a few games, isn't it? I think certainly there'll be at least a couple of Premier League games, Ben, within that, possibly a League Cup semi-final, which is two legs, possibly a couple of FA Cup games as well. I mean, just thinking about that, the Liverpool have to get someone in January or can they afford not to, do you think? I mean, it will be risky, but like you said... Um, it would also be risky to to expect someone to come in straight away. Um, if if you look at those games in January, it's going to be early January that Salah and Mane will be missing for. So you're expecting a player to adjust and get things running straight away, which which is a big pressure for a player who's going to be settling into a new system and potentially a new life if it's Darwin Nunes because he's going to be moving to England, you know, and and all that. So it is diff- difficult to expect um, someone to just quickly turn everything around and uh, forget, make us forget that Salah and Mane existed. Um, Liverpool may just have to, you know, come up with alternative solutions, and Origi might be <laughs> the player that will be looked on as, as someone who will need to replace those Salah and Mane. I think on that, Ben, as well, I think going for someone maybe more experienced wouldn't be a bad idea. You know, not to sign him as per se, but someone like Olivier Giroud, who's old, played in the Premier League, got the experience and can play in that target position, might be the way forward. Because it would be very daunting, because I think we're going to be in a pretty rough place then. 
And with the crowd on your back as a new signing as Liverpool's number nine, or not number nine, but, you know, third choice by number nine, that could be very difficult. Yeah, I think it, it might be important as well. Obviously, we don't know the injury situation with Firmino. I'm sure he'll be back before then, but you know, there's still plenty of time for, for others to pick up little knocks and things like that as well. So potentially it could be something that, that Liverpool do lock at. But we've talked about the, the midfield and the attack then, and I suppose that leads into the kind of point of, of this conversation. I mentioned it at the top of the podcast about a very much quality-filled position at left-back for Liverpool with obviously both Andy Robertson as first choice and Costas Simikas as backup as well. Ben, I'll come to you first on this one. There's been a lot of, of talk about it over the last few days. Obviously, Simikas played really well against Atletico Madrid. Robertson came back in for West Ham as expected, but are we at the point now where there is a reasonable conversation to be had about which of the two of them is the most informed and is the most useful for, for Liverpool? Or is it still Robertson first choice for you? As, as Jurgen Klopp actually said on Friday, you know, Robertson is the best in the world and, and he is the number one. Do you think we're, we're at a point now where you can have a, a reasonable conversation around that? I think you can have a conversation, but for me, the answer will still be Robertson. Um, you know, Timikas has done well. And uh, he is pushing for the first team spot. But right now, uh, I think some of the criticism in Robertson's performances have been a bit harsh. Um, even against West Ham, I thought, you know, he didn't have the greatest of games, but neither did everyone else. And, you know, where it had, had Mane converted his cross in the second half, we'd be talking about uh, another Robertson solid performance. Uh, so I think it's a bit harsh to sort of, um, you know, exile him, exile him from the starting eleven just because Timikas has had a few games. Um, in games where Liverpool had been comfortable, um, I'd like to see Timikas against in, in a performance like West Ham and see how he would do. And I think um, Robertson would come out on top in those performances. Um I'm, I'm still not convinced. I think Timokas might be slightly better going forward, but defensively, and especially in terms of pace, I think Robertson wins every single time for me. What do you make of it, Patrick? I think you know that Robertson's come under a lot of scrutiny. There's been a fair bit of criticism of him, but the fact that we do regard him as one of the best, if not the best in the world in his position, does that almost count against him? Do we hold him to, to higher standards, do you think? Or, or has he dropped off over the last few weeks? I think Ben's hit the nail on the head, to be honest. I think partly because Simicast is playing so well and some fans are looking for a scapegoat performances. I think Robertson has been unfairly criticised recently. I still think he's the best left-back in the world and I you know, love the way he plays. I think he's brilliant. But Simicast is having a really good season. I think the quality he has on the ball as well I would even argue that technically his crosses might be better than Robertson's. I think Robertson's more effective at beating players and getting to the byline and putting the ball across. But Simakasa's quality in his delivery is really good. And um, I think that would work better against the low block. I think the past two games of the Premier League as well, we've seen Robertson play against West Ham and Brighton, who brought the game to us and you know really pressed us, really put the game on us. And I think that sort of left Robertson a bit of an exposed position with the midfield crisis as well. And then Simakas has obviously played against Atletico, who just dropped back and he had plenty of time on the ball to showcase his ability. But I'm, I'm torn. I don't know. I'd like to see Simakas get more game time, but I still think Robertson is the man. You know, 
if you're looking ahead to the next game against Arsenal, I think I still would go with Robertson. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I suppose it depends slightly on the international break and, and how many minutes each of them play then as well. But I suppose Arsenal is is a pretty decent test of it, isn't it? And you, you both mentioned it there in terms of wanting to see what Simakas can do when he's coming up against a, a better side. I mean, you'd presume he'd be up against Bukayo Saka on that side of the pitch, for example, against Arsenal. Is it almost time that we kind of put it to the test, give it a bit of, of, a, of a trial in a, in a game like this and you know, maybe... That will almost help Andy Robertson if Simicast comes in and, and maybe doesn't play as well as what everyone's expecting. Maybe then that balance tips back in favour of, of the Scotland captain. Yeah, and let's not forget Simicast has history against Arsenal. Uh, he was part of the Olympiacos team that knocked them out of the Europa League. And I think that those performances first caught Liverpool's attention, or they might have had him on their radar before, but that definitely brought him to the forefront. Um, so I would be interested to trial him out against Arsenal uh, given the fact as well that he's played them not not too far in the distant past um, and um, yeah it, it would just I, I, it's a tough one because again I, Robertson is the more experienced one and given that Arsenal are only two points behind Liverpool you'd be tempted to put him in though just just because Bukayo Saka's pace and like I said I'm not entirely convinced that Simikas has the pace um to go up against players of Saka and um yeah just just any fast winger in the Premier League uh, I, I don't know I don't know how well he would have done against Jared Bowen as well um who is an extremely rapid winger um and uh it's a tough one to experiment on players given the magnitude of the game uh, that we like against Arsenal. Um, you might, Timokast, like, like Patrick mentioned, um, against the low block um, is, I think, is probably his best suited to. Um, but teams that go full throttle, uh, it's a tough one. I, I'm torn. I can't, I can't really decide. Yeah, I suppose it, it does speak to the depth that, that Liverpool have got, that there is even a, a conversation about these two to be had, Patrick. But just before we move on then from the, the Simicass and, and Robertson conversation, I mean, what is it specifically, do you think, that, that Simicass maybe has over Robertson or Robertson has over Simicass? I think for me, his, his dead balls are probably better, his, his crossing is slightly better, Simicass. But I suppose at, at the same time that there is a bit of me thinking, well, we have only seen it against a small sample size. It's maybe not a big enough, um, you know, number of, of games to be able to assess that on. Where do you kind of stand on on that point? Yeah, we've already touched on it. You know, I think Simicass's quality of delivery is better, as you just said there. But the thing with Robertson is, although his crossing may not be as technically good, he's going to beat the fullback, you know, five or six times a game and put a ball across. And sometimes, you know, it can be a very simple game. It doesn't matter how good the ball across is. If it goes through and finds someone, you get an assist. And the amount of assists he's got over the past few years, it is effective and it works. And with the way we play, depending on the opponent, of course, and of recent, you know, it's not been too brilliant. I think he's been harshly treated. I think Robertson's defending of late hasn't been brilliant, but it's never been his strong point of his game. He's always solid enough. He's always not afraid to, you know, 
digging and put a tackle in. I think we're yet to see that of Simicast, to be honest. He's not really been tested defensively as such, from what I can remember. So it would be interesting to see him against, as Ben mentioned, a Bukayo Saka. I think that would be a big, big test. And I'm not sure defensively that Simicast is ready for that. So I think Robertson has the edge defensively, albeit it's not his best trait, and that's what he's been sort of scapegoated for recently in his performances. I still think I would go with Robertson. Yeah, it, it is a really hard one, isn't it? I've kind of thought about it, it both ways, and I think it's it's really interesting. But just to, to finish off then, Ben, I mean, just in terms of, of the squad depth, obviously, at Liverpool, it, it's something that gets talked about a lot. They don't speak um, as much about City or, or Chelsea, for example, in that regard, mainly because they've spent a fair bit more money. They've got, obviously, £100 million footballers sat on the bench in Jack Grealish for one of their biggest games of the season. But at the same time, I think we have to point out for balance that you know Manchester City would love either Robertson or Simicast. They don't have a left-back to the same standard of, of either of them. You look at Chelsea, there was a lot of, of, sort of talk about Sal Miguel coming to Liverpool in the summer obviously goes to, to Chelsea in the end and we haven't really seen him so I suppose do, do we call, do we get caught up a, a little bit in the Liverpool bubble of, of squad depth is it maybe just probably not as good as the other teams but maybe not as bad as, as we think do you think that's a, a fair way of, of putting it I think so I think obviously as fans we, we, we would like to make a few additions and, and there are definitely holes to fill in the squad there's no questions about it. Uh, I think particularly at right back, like holding midfielder, like Patrick said. Um, but it's also not as bad as, as some of the other squads. And and uh, Liverpool are not alone in in struggling with squad depth. Uh, for, look at Chelsea, for example, who are leading the Premier League title. They've had to play Kai Havertz as uh, a sort of makeshift number nine in their last few games uh, with both Lukaku and Werner injured. So... I think Liverpool are not alone in struggling with squad squad depth, but just purely based on how many games there are um, around this time of the season, there's always going to be injuries. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the reason why it, it, this conversation gets brought up a lot is because Liverpool haven't really spent uh, and anything. Uh, but it must be noted that you can't just spend for spending sake. Like like when Chelsea brought in Sal Niguez, did, did they really need Sal? I, I I don't think so. I think they probably could have spent that money better elsewhere. So I think Liverpool have to be smart in their spending as well and make sure they bring in players of the right profile. And I don't think that was the case in the summer. I don't think there were anyone who was available and who they could have gotten for the right price and who could have improved the squad. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really difficult balance, isn't it? But fingers crossed, Liverpool have got it right. I'm sure it won't be the last time we have a similar sort of conversation on this podcast. But I think for today, that will just about do us. Thanks a lot for joining us once again for you both and for you at home as well for, for listening as well. We've got plenty more content to come over the international break to keep you informed and entertained as much as possible before Liverpool take on Arsenal at Anfield. Make sure you're checking out the great stuff on the Liverpool.com website as well. Plenty of interesting content on there, much more than what we've talked about as well throughout the podcast. Even Gerard being linked with a move to Aston Villa. Would that be a good move? I'm sure Ben's piece will answer that question. Until next time, though, here on the Liverpool.com podcast. Thanks for watching and it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.